Hello and welcome to Assured by Grace. My name is Danny Woodward and today I'm joined again by Senior Pastor Phil Congdon. And Phil, this is going to be an interesting conversation today because we're going to be looking at John Piper, who is a rather well-known uh, pastor and, and trainer of pastors. And that's really what we're going to be exploring a little bit today. Uh, you know, a lot of you may be listening in and some of this may sound a little bit over your head. I know it's over my head. Some of this back and forth, hmm. and, and and Piper is is a brilliant speaker and a brilliant communicator. But oftentimes he's he's talking about things that are real simple, yeah. and he makes them real complicated. You know, it it is interesting. I I don't want anybody to feel like we're going to be throwing a, a whole you know shovel full of theology at you today. This what we talk about is assurance of salvation, and a lot of Christians struggle with that. We've we've talked about that many times that there are reasons why people struggle with their uh, assurance. And uh, we've talked about Satan is the one who loves to get us to doubt yeah. our salvation. And he'll use anything he can. And, and so if you are right now listening to us and you're saying, yeah, I, I do sometimes struggle with assurance, it may well be that what you have been exposed to is something that makes you wrongly doubt your salvation. The first thing I would ask anybody who says, you know, I'm I'm struggling with, you know, whether I'm a, say, a Christian or not, I'd say, well, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe he rose from the dead? He believed that he's God's son. He came and he died for your sins. And somebody says, yes, I believe that. And I said, you should never, ever again doubt your salvation. There are other issues that you're going to want to tackle the, the Christian life. And, and, but, but there, again, if we're using this theological terms, we say justification is when you were declared righteous on the basis of your faith in Jesus Christ and God's grace in, in providing that way of salvation. But then there's sanctification, and that is the progressive Christian life where we're trying to, to gain victory over sin in our lives, and that is a daily battle. And there are going to be days when we're victorious, and there are going to be times when we are going to stumble. And that is another issue. And if we confuse or conflate those two, then you're going to get in trouble. And too often that's what happens. And today we're going to be actually just giving some excerpts from, from John Piper. I, just, I want you to clarify. When you say conflate those two. Uh, that means you, you take and you push two things together. Um, I would use it as oil and water. You know, we try to push them together, but they stay distinct. And that's what should happen with justification and sanctification. But a lot of times you're going to have preachers who are going to conflate these two. They're going to mix them up. And when you mix them up, then you start getting confused and you start downing. Now, we we need to talk about this, and so we're we're going to let John Piper speak for himself here for a couple of times here. Sure. And uh, again, he's talking here in this presentation. He's talking to pastors, and he's 
encourage that the name of this presentation is Christ died to make us holy. And I'll we'll come back to that terminology. Christ died to make us holy. And then he says, why some preachers avoid it. So he's going to, right up front, he's going to be telling this, this crowd of pastors and preachers uh, why he is there. So let's listen to this, and then let's kind of try to just talk a little bit about this salvation and, and spiritual life. I want to begin by stating my aim in six different ways. If one of them doesn't click, maybe the others will. They all mean the same thing. First, my aim is that those of you who preach and teach the Word of God would do so in a way that makes clear the effective connection between the sin-bearing work of Christ and the sin-killing work of the Christian. Second, that you would make clear the effective connection between canceled sin and conquered sin. Third, that you would make clear the effective connection between the horrors of Christ's suffering and the holiness of Christ's people. Fourth, that you would make clear the release of people from guilt and how it effectively connects with the securing of their lives of righteousness. Fifth, that you would make clear the effective connection between justification by his blood and progressive sanctification by that same blood. And sixth, finally, that you would make clear the effective connection between the the tearing off of the flesh of Christ in crucifixion and the tearing out of your eye in the battle against lust. Hmm. Okay. Now, if you notice something there, we're going to have to come back to a a few things. But first of all, he talks about the effective connection. Yeah, he mentioned that once or twice, didn't he? Over and over again. And in one of the statements, he said that there was an effective connection between justification by Christ's blood and sanctification by the same blood. Now, effective connection, what does that mean? He is going to tell us what he means by it later in this talk, but you would have to listen to 20 minutes of the talk, and we're not going to make you do that but we're going to play it for you. It's that separation that will cause you to forget. He is saying that there is an effective connection between justification and sanctification. Now, listen, both of us believe that there is an effective connection between these two. Uh, For example, um, I believe there's an effective connection in that Only a person who is justified by believing in Jesus as their Savior can have a productive spiritual life. 
a person who is not justified can live a good life, can try to be religious and so forth, but there's no way they're going to have a walk, uh, a Christian life walking with the Lord. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm going to say that, yeah, there is a connection. And I think we'd agree that everybody should agree with that, that idea. Yeah, you, you have to have a relationship to have fellowship. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it, that there, you have to be born before you can grow. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is kind of common sense. And I, I don't know uh, if before you became a Christian, if you might have dabbled in religion some, but there's a real difference between dabbling in religion or being religious and coming into a relationship by faith in Jesus Christ with the God of creation. And you then have a relationship with your creator, God. And now through that relationship, because you receive the Holy Spirit who lives in you, now you can begin to live that kind of a life. But this is not what John Piper means. And the problem here is this. When you use confusing terminology like, effective connection, then you have to start going through the weeds to find out what does a person mean by effective connection. Now, I want you to to know, I'm going to let John Piper speak for himself in just a moment, but the each of these six statements, these six aims, is actually, in his mind, uh, a reflection of his theological position, which is the Reformed Calvinist uh, position. And we've talked about this some before, but they have five tenets of their faith, which is, uh, it's an acronym of TULIP, okay? And T is for total depravity or total inability. Uh, U is unconditional election, L is limited atonement, I is irresistible grace, and we don't want to go through all of those, but the P is perseverance of the saints. And by that, what they mean is that there is an absolute connection between your justification and your sanctification. That is that if you are justified, that if you have trusted in Christ, really believed in Christ, you really had faith in Christ, then you absolutely will be sanctified. Progressively, you're going to live this Christian life. And what does that mean? That you're never going to sin? Well, no, not really. But you certainly are going to not ever let sin, you know, defeat you. And if it does, you'll immediately get over that. And and what what you get into here, you can see right now, is it, it's a huge gray area because mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you know, how many sins is too many sins? And if I sin the same way three times, does that mean I really wasn't saved, or is it four times? And yeah. um, and this is the problem with John Piper's theology and what he is teaching, and and it just creates. It creates, creates an, doubt. an unending yeah. doubt in, in our lives. True saints, he will say, always persevere. 
So if you're not persevering, you're probably not saved. And guess what? You can't have assurance because you don't know whether tomorrow you might falter. So you might have assurance today because you feel like you're doing pretty well. You're listening to this podcast that shows you're doing really well. But tomorrow, maybe you won't. So let's listen to John Piper now as he is going to, in his own words, he's going to explain what he means by these words, effective connection. Listen to this. That's what he paid for attitudes, and, and he paid for words, and he paid for actions in harmony with the infinite worth of God. And the purchase was effective. Now, you may remember when I gave you the six statements of the aim of this message, in every one of them, I had this phrase, effective connection. Here we're at the explanation of that effective connection between blood shed by Jesus and holiness performed in his people. It's an effective purchase. I want you to preach a kind of preaching, teach a kind of teaching that makes plain to people that effective connection between the sin-bearing work of Christ and the sin-killing work of the Christian. Christ's ransom payment was not a failure. It wasn't. He did not shed his blood in vain when he purchased your holiness. He obtained what he paid for. The holy conduct of God's people is sure which is why the Bible repeatedly makes plain, if you don't have this holiness, you have no warrant to think you're among the redeemed or the ransomed. You don't. This is serious, right? I'll say. You know, Phil, it just strikes me that to a point, there's some things in here that we can say, yeah, we agree on. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I want the pursuit of holiness. Yeah, and we agree that Christ's ransom payment was not a failure. Yeah. And and that he didn't shed his blood in vain and that he obtained what he paid for. So why is it that he's he's making this about the fact that God is making us holy? That that's the the what I talked about, the confusion or the conflation of justification and sanctification. And this is uh, in the title of his message, I'll go back to that. Christ died to make us holy. No, Christ's death was for our justification. He paid the price for our sins, and he paid it in full. And therefore, when we believe in Christ, we are declared righteous, not on the basis of our works, not by works of righteousness, which we have done or which we will ever do. It's on the basis of his blood and that finished work. And so we are declared righteous. That is distinct from being made righteous. Declared righteous is justification. Being made righteous 
is this battle of the Christian life. Paul talks about in Ephesians 6 when he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand. The evil days are coming. You're going to need this armor. Why? Because there's a battle that we're living in. And and so Paul would even say, you know, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I do want to do. And, and, he, and he's grappling with this reality. And unfortunately, by mixing these two together and say, Jesus died to make us holy. No, Jesus died so that we could one day become holy. But he died to pay the price for our sins. And through his penalty, uh, taking the penalty of our sin, we are declared righteous by faith. So that's the the issue. Here. You know, that's a you use the Ephesians six man that that really resonates to me because it would just seem like Paul would have had a much easier time of stating that if he said, "You guys are are born in your full military getup." You just need to realize that you've already got that breastplate on and, and that your helmet's resting right on top of your head. And he didn't say that. He, he, he admonished us to put those on and yeah. to use them. And he's talking to believers. Yeah. And, and uh, John Piper has this habit of taking exhortations and commands to Christians in the New Testament and making them signs of whether or not you're saved. So when it says, be holy as, as your Father in heaven is holy, that's not an exhortation for him. If you're not doing that, you're not really saved. And uh, you know, some people are going to say, well, wait a minute, none of us are perfect. And it's true. Matthew 5, 48, Jesus said, be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, how can we do that? Well, you can't. That, none of us can in fact, if somebody says, I don't have any sin, 1 John 1, 8 says, you're a liar. So we do have sin. We do struggle with sin. So what was he saying? He was exhorting us, saying, put on the armor of God. Fight this fight. There is a battle against sin. Unfortunately, when John Piper said these words or something just about like this, he said, if you don't have holiness in your life, you have no warrant to think that you are part of the ransomed. Mm-hmm. That's, that is absurd. It is crazy. What that has just done, he might as well have just become a Roman Catholic in, in their doctrine, which is that you are never really justified by faith alone. You are justified by faith and works. And if you don't have the works, then you don't have the justification. And so Roman Catholics are constantly being told they need to go and they need to go to confession. Uh, They need to say their Hail Marys and their Our Fathers. And and then at the end of their life, they they get uh, last rites and extreme unction. and, And then they go to purgatory to burn off the rest of their sins because they're doing something in order to be saved. And John Piper is saying virtually nothing different from that. He's just saying if you're not living at least some standard and he can't even identify exactly what that is, if you're not living that, 
you have no warrant to say that you're saved. And at that moment, he crushes any assurance of salvation. Mm. Well, we're going to look at one more clip, aren't we, Phil? Well, I, I thought we'd put this in now. Guys, hang on. Fasten your seatbelts here because th there's a little bit of theology uh, here. Uh, what what John Piper is going to do, he's going to talk about kinds of preaching, and, and, uh, and he eventually gets to a Bible verse. And the Bible verse is in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 29. And uh, we'll stop it right after this, and we'll talk a little bit about this. But you're going to encounter this in the Bible. You're going to be reading the Bible, and you're going to say, wait a minute, that sounds like if I, if I don't do good works, then I'm going to hell. Let's see what John Piper has to say. There is a kind of preaching that focuses on holiness of life, but in a way that fails to make plain the effective connection between the sin-bearing work of Christ and the sin-killing work of the Christian. It fails to make plain the relationship between Christ's canceling of sin and our conquering sin. It fails to make that connection, and the result is that it loads Christians with burdens they cannot bear. And people become despairing, or they become self-righteous achievers. So that's one way to do it. And there's a way to preach that is so allergic to biblical imperatives, so allergic to biblical commands and warnings that it never preaches with the sense of urgency about the demands of holiness. It never says, you gotta tear out your eye for it's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell, congregation, Christians. Never says mm. All right, there it is. And now, this is, there's some baffling things about this. You know, he's saying, you know, these are Christians. He's calling them Christians, but he's saying that these Christians can be thrown into hell. And boy, I'll tell you what, if that's the case, then there is no assurance. Um, but I, I still, I want to just talk about this passage. Okay. You know, this passage, Matthew 5, 29, yeah. uh, where Jesus says, says, and he said this a couple of times, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, um, uh, that, it, you know, it's better for you to do something radical, uh, in your life than for you. And in the Bible translation you have, it probably says to be thrown into hell. Now, I think we can all agree that if there is something you can do, say that your eye can look at, and for, for John Piper, he often talks about lust, um, and I think this is a common problem for many in our society today, at least in, in Western society, where we are so exposed 
to lascivious uh, um, images and, and depictions that it's very easy for us to to you can just drive down the road and look at a billboard and you'll see something and and uh, and, and it will excite in you that lustful uh, idea. And so um, you you read Jesus' words here, and the way that it's translated, it, it looks like it's saying, you know, if you um, if you uh, you know are looking at something like this, it'd be better for you to take your hand and pull your eye out so that you won't look at it, and that way you'll go through life blind. That's okay, but at least you'll not go to hell. I was going to say, I noticed John's got both his eyeballs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and by the way, John Piper has, has expressed that uh, he sins and uh, he called it sinning against his wife. Uh, and I don't know what he does. I, it doesn't matter to me. But he said that because of that, it made him doubt his salvation. He has said that doubts about salvation are an epidemic in his church. So now we know why. But maybe you're saying to yourself right now, well, wait a minute. Uh, come on, you guys can read that too. And it's, isn't that what Jesus said? Well, let me just say something uh, a little bit about this. First of all, what's the context? The context is the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is Jesus talking about what kingdom living is all about. So he is giving a blueprint for how to live a victorious kingdom life. He had come, he, John the Baptist had announced him. He'd been baptized. A voice from heaven had said, this is my beloved son. He has come to be the king. And he's come to his own people, the Jews. He's ready to reign. And John the Baptist is saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus is saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay? So here it is. The, the kingdom is here. Get ready. Now, is there anything anywhere in the Sermon on the Mount that says, do this and you will receive eternal life? No, doesn't say anything about becoming a Christian. Jesus hadn't even died yet. He had not risen from the dead. The church was actually inaugurated on the day of Pentecost. The gospel message that Paul preached was Christ died for our sins and was buried and rose and was seen. So now, okay, that's the gospel message. So let's go back to Matthew 5. This isn't the gospel. This is not how you get to heaven. He is talking about how to live a kingdom life. But then you say, well, wait a minute, Phil, doesn't it say that if you don't do this, uh, it's better to, to do this than to be thrown into hell? And hell is obviously the opposite of heaven. And here, all I'll say is that you'll have to do some study for yourself if you want to, but you can check. Um, uh, this the word that is translated hell here in the Greek is Gehenna. Gehenna. It's a term that's used in the Old Testament, the Valley uh, of uh, of Hinnom. 
This was a valley outside the southeast corner of the old city of Jerusalem. It was a garbage dump. It was a place where uh, people would throw dead animals or, or even people who had no money for burial uh, and the trash. And there were maggots and it was filthy and smelly and there were fires and it burned all the time. And that is what everybody that Jesus spoke to all of the times that he used the word Gehenna. That's what they would have understood. You say, well, then why, why is a Greek word Gehenna, which does not mean hell, why does my Bible translate that as hell? Well, because early church fathers made the decision that this was a picture of hell, and they put it in. And so only when you find something literal or something that is going to be based on what the literal wording is, will you read Gehenna. And yet, by putting in the word hell, they have done a extreme disservice. All that this, uh, yeah, go ahead. Phil, I just want to ask you something. There's a, because there's another way to interpret the, that Sermon on the Mount too, isn't there? And that being that, uh, that that was to the kingdom and yet the kingdom is not yet here. Yeah, it is. But he was, but he was speaking to people mm -hmm. and there that, you know, so when he's speaking to the, the people, um, uh, what he is telling to them is what he wants them to do. It's all moralistic teaching. Uh, you know, it's about uh, giving. Uh, it's about um, uh, um, not lusting. It's uh, There are all kinds of teachings. Uh, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Um, um, yeah, he talks about not, the Pharisees a little bit. Not hating your brother. Uh, mm -hmm. um, there are all kinds of, of moralist teachings, and they're wonderful, wonderful teachings. All of them are great teachings for our Christian life. What, what this word Gehenna, the times that it is used, and Jesus used it, what, I think 12 maybe times, 11, 12 times, but that wording always talked about um, a temporal judgment, a place of shame or sorrow, uh, a place of uh, uh, God's judgment for sin in this life. And it didn't ever refer to going to hell when you die. That was that was something that was foreign to this. This was constantly talking about temporal judgment, and you can do a study of this. Um, it, you, you can you can look at the words. You can read about them. Uh, the this valley was um, a horrible place, um, but the the bad translation, making this into hell, is something that will cause you confusion over and over if you read that in Jesus' life. So 
if you if you come across this word and you're doing your study, you know that you can actually uh, sometimes you can just go online and you can uh, check a word. What is this word in the Greek? Mm-hmm. Uh, and check. And if it is Gehenna, then read it as Gehenna. That is a place of uh, stinking, rotting flesh. That's what our sin uh, is is like. That's what the result of our sin is like. And I just want you to clarify too, that's not the only translation for hell. There, it's no. translated hell in your Bible in other. There are other words. Okay, other words. Yes, yes. yes other, there, other. there are other words, and and there are, are clear indications uh, uh, for uh, you know, like the lake of fire and things like this that are clearly referring to hell. But this is uh, just one of those cases that is a poor. Yeah, I, I just didn't want people to think we're <laughs> we're no. saying there's no hell. There's definitely no. a, such there, a place. Definitely, there is a hell. The problem is here is that. Uh, when we when we start confusing um, hell and temporal judgment, yes. So so when I trusted in Jesus Christ as my Savior, I was justified, declared righteous, and on the basis of what Jesus did, I now have His righteousness. That is positionally who I am. I'm a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away; new things have come. I am a new creation. I've been born again. That secured for me my home in heaven. And now I am going to face the battles of life. And in those battles of life, uh, I am going to pursue holiness and righteousness. And there are rewards for doing that. Uh, there, I want to just say one more thing. Um, in this talk, I thought it was interesting. There was a, a, an illustration that was given, and it might be helpful for some of you. This illustration was of a man who was condemned to the gallows. And uh, the night before he was to be hung on the gallows, he received a pardon and he was freed. And the next day he went out and he was freed, and he was rejoicing. I'm free. I get to live my life. And then John Piper said, but imagine how horrible it would be if 30 years later, that man was still saying, I'm free. I didn't get hung on the gallows. I'm free. I get to live my life instead of doing something with his life. Now, the reason he used this illustration is he was He was trying to show how important it is that we do something once we have been saved. And I would say, absolutely. If you have trusted in Christ as your Savior, you know, that is, we don't just focus on the starting line. We we don't just, if you watch a sprint race and the gun goes off, they don't keep focusing on the starting line. They focus on the race. And most of the Bible, the vast majority of it is all about this race. And we are running this race. But don't lose sight of this. The problem that John Piper has is that he will say, if you're not running the race, 
then you were never born again. You were never saved. And what we would say is that there are some people who are slower in that race. Maybe there's some people who are doing better. Where are you in the race? Maybe you've been one of those people who stumbled and you fell down on the track. And, you know, you, you're just not really doing anything with your Christian life. Well, we're not going to say what John Piper would say is that, well, you never really were saved. And it doesn't make any sense because if the guy's alive 30 years later after he was freed, then he was freed. But you can't say, well, you weren't really freed from the, the gallows. Yes, you were. You have been saved if by faith in Jesus Christ alone, you've trusted him as your sin bearer. You're saved. You are redeemed. Now the question is, what are you doing with that life? God has given you new life. He's given you his spirit. So live that life for the Lord. And if we can keep that distinction, it can keep us from losing our assurance of salvation too. Um, I don't know. Has that ever affected you? Just the the you know, years past or, you know, the, this question of struggling in, in your life? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've talked about this before as, as a very young man, I came to trust in, in God. And in, when I get into high school and into college, man, I just, you know, you get, you get, uh, led into some sin and you, you go down that road. Yeah. And you come to a point, I think an, another thing to bring up is that a lot of people probably are like me. You come to a point where you're like, man, it's just, what's the point in, in, in continuing to try to live a life that has holiness because you have this weight that you ought to be a certain way yeah. and you're constantly looking at how you're stumbling. And it, I don't know that it's necessarily, sometimes it's not even a matter of, assurity assurance in your salvation it's just a matter of you feel this pressure that i mm -hmm. think preachers like john piper and and others in our culture have put on us yeah. uh and and it it makes you feel like you're just not doing enough yeah you're always a failure yeah and so and what do you do when that bill you get to a point where you're like well why do i try i know i'm going to be in heaven mm -hmm. i'm just going to get a a smaller crown or I might smell a little well, smoky. Yeah. The, the, the thing, the, I'll be honest with you. You know, it does say that there are some first Corinthians three says that there are some who will be saved yet. So as by fire. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, this is no minor thing. When Jesus spoke about Gehenna, boy, that was a vivid picture of shame, of regret, uh, of judgment that you did not want to experience. And in the New Testament, it talks about losing rewards, about people shrinking away from Christ in shame at his coming because they did not abide in him, 1 John 2, 28. Listen, it is worth it to live your life for Jesus Christ. It is worth it because at the end of this life, to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, will be the greatest reward you will ever receive in eternity. That's so wonderful mm. that you can receive that. 
you do not get into heaven because you did good things or you lived a holy life. You get into heaven because Jesus Christ paid the price with his blood for your sin. And by believing in Jesus, you received that that was credited to your account. But, boy, it is worth it. And, and just don't get discouraged because I know you're right. Yeah. That people are, some people hate going to church because they just feel like they get beat up and told how bad they are and how they can't live. And friends, you are going to battle with sin, yeah. but take comfort. Jesus Christ has overcome this world in your struggle. He is never going to leave you or forsake you. And I was just going to add too. I mean, in in uh, in John in the in the upper room discourse, Jesus talking about why he wants you to abide in Him, and it's yeah. for joy, not just for the joy that's to come, but it's for joy in this life. I, I'm not perfect, Boy. but and, and neither is Phil. But walking with God, getting to know Him, studying His Word seeing him work through our imperfect selves in in the ministry to others and and just being able to love on people Boy, that's that what the christian life is all about it is and what a great uh a great thing mentioning john 15 if you want to read something this is jesus uh john 15 is uh just hours before he was arrested the next day he was crucified but he's alone with his disciples he's talking about the life and he's telling them that, you know, he knows what's coming. And he says, I want you to abide in me. And if I, you abide in me and I abide in you, then, you know, you're going to bear much fruit and your joy will be full. Mm-hmm. How different is that from when John Piper says, if you're not doing these things, you have no warrant to even say that you're redeemed. It's it's awful. So. Let's uh let's let's have joy. You trusted in Christ, live for him. Amen to that. Hey, thanks. Thanks.